Diary of a Pandemic is a podcast and personal development community that lives at the intersection of three suppositions. The first is that there's a global pandemic happening as we speak that is reorganizing a lot about what we expect from the world. The second is that unconditional freedom is freedom in all conditions. The third is that the play between the first two is bound to create whole new possibilities for how we human. These are the daily chronicles of two transformational coaches as we pursue the path to unconditional freedom in the context of unprecedented times. I'm Kianga Ford. And I'm Rachel Paz. And together we'll explore both what new paradigms and possibilities are emerging in the world and what new desires and gifts are being germinated within us. Each day we'll answer the same six questions focused on who and how we want to be as we venture through whatever new life circumstances the Rona brings. We will meet those with full responsibility for what this moment wants to teach us about how to get free. Welcome to Diary of a Pandemic. Hello, hello. Oh, hello. How's it going over there? Thank God you asked a question first, because I was like, I don't even know <laughs> what question to ask at this moment in time. <sighs> it's, uh, it's going well, um, and, and likely the reason it's going well is because I'm ignoring the world <laughs> today. Huh. Just what decided. prompted that decision? Uh... uh well, I'll tell you a little bit about it when we get started, but um, uh, the notion that I need to like be cocooning just a little bit, I would say, that mm. like out there is not necessarily all that helpful at the moment. Out there is kind of intense right now. Mm-hmm. It's been been really amazing the number of people that I've been speaking with who are like, I'm not sleeping anymore. And I'm like, yeah, you're not alone. And they're like, really? That's a thing right now? I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. We say nervous system dysregulation. Mm -hmm. Everyone twice with feeling. Mm -hmm. How's it going for you? (laughs) I shouldn't have done it, should I? I just laugh at that question these days. It's good. It's great. It's weird in the context of super uh, social isolation. I just ran into a junior high school crush in the place where I'm staying that I haven't seen since I was probably 15. So life's kind of random today. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like work, work, work. Oh, hey, hot guy from middle school. <laughs> <laughs> work, work, work. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. A number of interesting revelations that seem to have come out of the absolute clear blue sky. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you're just joining us, this is going to be the weekly hot list. Right now, it's just Rachel and Kianga sort of pontificating on how the world is weird. <laughs> and we're in a pretty strange place. You heard it here first, okay? If things get weirder, trust us. 
If a diary of a pandemic, a place to play, when you suddenly have a global pandemic that changes everything about how we live and interact and in some ways think. We think it's going to lay the tracks for some amazing new things. But right now, it's just a lot of shaking up of old systems. We are kind of inside the snow globe right now. Mm-hmm. So that feels very accurate. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So the way we play this game, if you haven't played with us before, is we ask each other six questions, <laughs> kind of about the world and the way it works, and uh, see what comes up. Are you ready? Always. Never, awesome. but always. <laughs> <laughs> Both and. Uh-huh. So what's the thing you think people need to hear right now? Uh, that being um, grounded in your body is really important. Like make sure that you are make sure you are connected to both your body and that your body is connected to the earth. <laughs> um, I. I, I was hearing somebody yesterday talking about the energy that's alive right now. And, and her comment was that this is uh, this energy is really big and chaotic and it's like accident kind of energy. Mm. And it was funny because I was listening to it late at night after I had had a day where on my drive home to the peninsula from Seattle on the freeway, I had almost been in two car accidents that like seemingly came out of nowhere, right? Like the person in front of me slamming on the brakes for no apparent reason, like things like that. Um, And then while I was making dinner, I burnt my hand in the oven. And while I was putting away dinner, (laughs) I was putting a box of aluminum foil into a cupboard and um, ended up cutting my pinky on the serrated edge of a box of saran wrap and was just like, what is happening? What's wrong with me today? Right. And then like to hear her be like, this is accident energy. I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. That's mm-hmm. what's happening to me. Uh, so that whole like settle in a little bit more than usual um, and sort of be aware of what's happening around you. Um, move slowly, right. That kind of thing feels important right now. Yeah. I've definitely been running a ton of energy and feeling like I need the ground a lot. Mm-hmm. I have a new little ritual with my pup in the morning. She goes out and she likes to lay in the grass. And for the last week or so, I just sit in the grass with her. I'm like, this seems like a stellar idea. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm definitely going to the beach later today to bury my feet in the sand for a little while. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. What's the thing you think people need to hear right now? Dude, it's not about winning the argument. It's not even actually about the argument, right? There's this way that we're so caught in the, the rhetoric and in the, the taking of sides, in the being right, in the getting heard, in the being the one that has the right point, that we aren't listening to the fullest extent of our capacity. Okay, now, that was a real polite understatement we aren't really listening to each other. There's this way that a lot of the communications I'm seeing are very one-sided. Let me demonstrate my expertise. Let me demonstrate my pain. Let me demonstrate my goodness. Right. And uh, hmm, listen more than you talk. It's not about the argument. It's surely not about winning. Mm. 
What's the thing you've learned about yourself this week? Uh, it doesn't feel entirely new, but it showed up in different ways this week, um, which was that I'm really committed to this moment in time being the one in which I more fully take on my purpose and really live into the fullest expression of that, like in all the ways, right? Not just about the ways that I work, but the ways that I work and the ways that I'm in relationship and the ways that I'm, um, like in relationship to others and then the ways that I'm in relationship to the world, things like that. Um, and you know, the thing that I learned this week is that like when that part is clear, all of the pieces can be really fun. Right. So I had some days this week where I worked for really long days, like staring at screens until my eyes felt like they were going to bleed <laughs> and, and being like, that was very dramatic, maybe not bleeding, but blurry. Right. Um, and like really like geeking out on some of that stuff, but then also really enjoying like being a person who knows that like I, that it's not either or. So like taking long walks and being outside and like spending time in nature and, um, and, and like making sure that my needs are getting met too. Um, so that like, I really am the most available potentially. Um, to, to do what it is that I'm being asked to do right now. Yeah, all of those things. You know, right? Your daily routine has now extended <laughs> to a full day. That's right. By the time I added two hours of meditation plus other practices, I'm like, I have my work day, and then I have my work day. <laughs> right. <laughs> kind of like that. Uh, what did you learn about yourself this week? I learned that my intuition is telling me more than I'm giving it credit for, right? And it's kind of like you, it's not a new revelation, but it's kind of next level where, um, I can look back once things have unfolded and be like, aha, <laughs> those are all of the things that I was being told and why I was being told the things. Um, and so it's just really encouraging me to pay more forward-facing attention to what's the thing I feel, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it is um, not apparently in easeful alignment with the decisions that I've already made or what seems to be unfolding, to just listen at a deeper level. Mm -hmm. Do you want to share an example with us? Oh, okay. I didn't have one in mind. Um, but I, I think like one of those things is, this will, this will be an interesting spot, right? Like we've been, we started this project doing daily recordings, right? Like Chris and I came together in these little Zoom screen rooms every day and recorded a podcast about what was happening. And then we realized that that was not a terribly sustainable way to live our lives in what seems to be an indefinite zone of, of pandemic, sort of temporal zone of pandemic. So we looked at, okay, how can we keep this potent and not have it feel like we're on this very short leash of like reporting everything in real time? And so we were still asking ourselves our six daily questions every day. And there was a place where we started wrestling with, 
is this important? We have so much going on. There's so many other things that we're building. We're now only recording two to three times a week. Uh, we do the weekly hot list, we do a deep dive, and then we usually have one guest a week or many weeks we have guests. We don't have guests every week. Um, and I just had the sense, hey, it's gonna be important that we stay on this in a daily way. And then the George Floyd incident happened and then we were suddenly in a completely historically unprecedented conversation about race in America. And it just became really clear for me, right? That was the, that was the reason. Well, at least one of the reasons, right? We don't think that we're done with the revelations or the unfoldings, but just one of the reasons why it mattered to stay on the thing in an everyday way, right? Even though it seems like, okay, we're 30 days into this, 60 days into this, we kind of have a sense of what's happening. Do we, do we need to keep talking about it every day? And so, yeah, that's the, the one that comes to mind most quickly, but there have been all kinds of things like, where to be and what classes are going to be important. I was in Australia last fall and around my birthday, I bought a planner, which is, you guys don't know me that well, huh? It was around the beginning of November. Um, I bought a 2020 planner um, and started kind of really thinking and thinking and feeling into what I wanted this year to be. And one of the things that came up for me when I listed the things that I wanted to do this year was go to a mystery school. And at that point, I wasn't at all connected to my desire to go to a mystery school, right? It didn't seem like something that came from inside of me. It seemed like something that like appeared on the paper suddenly and mystified me like, well, what? That's a mystery right there. <laughs> but, you know, I've been at this long enough that I, I was like, okay, well, that was so clear that I'm just going to do it. And it turns out that the timing allowed me to get started with that right before we started living in like the giant snowball that was getting shaken vigorously. So, you know, there are, the, there are big versions and small versions and things related to that. Um, but yeah, they're, they're happening all the time. And there's a way that I can say, oh, that's not convenient, or that I don't like the way that makes me look, or I wasn't planning to be on that continent. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and, you know, then sometimes like the way that like, when I'm trying to tap into something and I can't see it unfold, most of the time it means it's not happening, right? And so even things that have been certainly about to happen when I can't see them they don't usually happen <laughs> mm. and so there's this interesting way of like what I could see of this year and what I couldn't see even though I had the desire I might have had it on my calendar but I really couldn't see it and uh, those things have not happened <laughs> for anybody <laughs> not just like you know my failure of sight so it's great to just be um, more attentive and noticing what it is I'm seeing and not seeing, frankly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. <clears throat> What's the thing you observe that you most want to talk about? 
Uh, well, so honestly, I didn't observe a lot this week. I was really kind of a hermit working away. <laughs> um, but the one thing that stood out to me was I, I called my dad on Father's Day. And it was late in the day because I had tried to call earlier and hadn't gotten through and hadn't been able to leave a voicemail for whatever reason. And so like by the time it like I remembered again, it was late in the evening. And I called and and for the first time since shelter in place has occurred, um, I could hear the real like palpable sadness um, in in both my dad's and my mom's voices around how much they miss their kids and their grandkids. And like, you can feel there was this like sense of loss and longing and like, how do we get back to something that's even remotely close to that? Like, how do we get to spend time with you again and like have you as a part of our lives, let alone like wow, I could really use a hug, you know, and, and none of them were saying these things, but it was just really like in the air, um, in a way that has me thinking both about them specifically and, you know, our, does our family want to adjust our protocols to see if we can improve their quality of life in that way? Um, and also like in general, like an awareness or just sort of thoughtfulness around like, what is it like to be elderly in this time? Um, and largely, you know, I don't want to say living, well, yeah, like living alone, right? What is it like to be older, needing to stay home more? And also the chances of living with people sort of lower than if you have, you know, um, and what is it like, like, how do we also the question of how we support our elderly populations in general, right? Because the, the idea of elderly people becoming isolated as they age isn't actually new, right? Um, and so what, what collectively, what questions do we need to be asking to like, is there a way that those years can be more connected and more beautiful and like more fully experienced? Um, and then I quickly am like, whoa, Rachel, like put on the brakes. You don't have to solve every world problem. But, but, but I actually think like there's a way that like all of those problems really deeply intertwine somewhere underneath. Right. And, and so it has me just sort of thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's something very different to imagine that you can wait out a global moment like this when you're 40 something than when you're 90 something. Right. Right. I mean, I live with people who are in their late 60s and 70s, and even still the notion of taking a time out and what you're able to get back, right? Like what levels of fitness are you able to get back? What levels of sociality are you able to get back when you let all of those things go? I think, um, yeah, it bears noting that we're not all having the same experience. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. They're not on work calls for Zoom, mm -mm. like Zoom calls for work where you're at least still getting to see people that you know, like there's some parts of the infrastructure and um, some parts of the expectation of gathering, even this sort of like televisual gathering don't exist for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Same way. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. What did you observe this week that you want to talk about? Ooh, I noticed the 
that the portals are starting to open for the outpouring of personal pain. Mm. Right. So in the first couple of weeks of the, the response to George Floyd, which of course was a response to many more things than George Floyd's killing, there was a, an emphasis on a collective narrative, a national level narrative on the systemic and people were kind of out there using their stories, um, the stories of their experience really to highlight the systemic, right? And, and so the stories were kind of in the service of, and they were limited um, in the sense that they were kind of top line stories. They were stories about like, this is how I know racism still exists. Right. And this is where it happened to me. But they were also the sharings of other stories. It was kind of like the most exemplary, right? Like the most exemplary and egregious for what was circulating. And now it uh, has kind of opened the floodgates for more personal levels of awareness and acknowledgement of what's been excluded, right? What have been the stories that we couldn't tell? Um, what were the stories that we felt would not be heard? What were the things that we thought just had to be tolerated, right? And seeing those stories start to come up. And those stories I'm not seeing so much um, in the open forum, right? I'm not seeing them on Facebook walls. I'm seeing them in POC groups. I'm seeing them in Black groups. I'm seeing them in subset groups, right? that are um, also fairly recently created. I'll say like as a phenomenon, they, they didn't really exist in my world until about a year ago. <clears throat> and I suddenly started seeing them come up and I'm like, what is, what is happening here, right? I'm a little bit older than a lot of people in those groups and so it might be the first wave for them, but I've certainly experienced that wave before and had kind of thought, okay, well, we've moved past that kind of, um, self-identifying that sort of like a segregation within systems like self-segregating within systems but i went ahead and joined the groups because i thought mm, there's something that's being indexed here right there's something that's being marked and i haven't been especially vocal but a lot of these groups are active every day right and in large part just because i have so many groups and so many things and i'm leading and facilitating other groups and so it's it's um a choice born, born partly out of like the economy of time, right? But I've noticed in the last, even the last few days, there, there's just a like, a coming to reckoning, a coming to clear, a coming to share of people at all levels in those groups. Um, that are things that I know that we have not collectively discussed before. So to, to make it a little more concrete, social dance, partner dance is a huge part of my life's joy and uh, what I love to do. And so that includes a lot of the Latin dances and who that is a complex racial terrain um, in terms of like, where are they African influence dances and who dances them and where and, and where are they stylized and perfected often in Europe, even when they're African, um, originated dances, loads of political complexity there that normally we just don't attend to, right? There's a knowing and every once in a while it'll bubble up, but it, it largely goes untouched. 
so I belong to dance groups, dance threads in many cities. So, you know, in, in my messenger, I would say probably 40 to 50% of all the messages that I get come from dance threads, right? Like Zook in Miami and Zook in Central Florida and Zook in Colorado and a lot of Zook threads. And then there are now the Black International Zook dancers and the BIPOC people who dance all sorts of partner dances. They're just, anyway, there, there are lots of them. And earlier today, I saw a share um, from a woman who is in more the, the Lindy scene, the West Coast swing scene, um, which is fascinating because obviously the origins of it in the US are in black culture, but the contemporary expression of it is almost exclusively white. Right, the sort of codification, the standardization, the pres preservation of it in the present, um, the the formal participation in it is largely white. And so there was a woman there who started a thread sharing about how many times she's won competitions but not been invited to dance, how many times she's thrown the event but not been invited to dance, and. Uh, there's a way that this is a thing that is just so deeply, such a deeply entrenched part of race that gets its expression in desire, that has people feel like it's neutral. Oh, I just have a preference for this type of woman, right? But you don't. You do now, but that's after years of collective programming around what's beautiful, what's valuable, who is desirable, that didn't come out of, um, that's not a, a, just an organic or an innate individual expression. So when desire is left to kind of have its way unchecked, um, uh, unchecked and unexamined, it will look like oh, I just prefer this, right? But really it's layers of social conditioning that get their expression there. So they get their expression in that way such that there can be whole threads of women talking about having the same experience worldwide across all different genres mm -hmm. right, of, of partner dance at every level from I'm a teacher of this to I'm a casual social dancer, to like I'm a total fiend and I travel globally as, you know, as an amateur, to I'm brand new, um, you know, and there are, there are a lot of stories of uh, black women, women of color being the more experienced dancer and bringing in the stereotypical like sort of thin white friend and having everyone dance with the friend who has zero dance experience right because of the body that she brought to the party mm -hmm. and you know you've heard me talk a bit about this mm -hmm. it's the same in conscious sexuality spheres right where we believe in the neutrality of desire and we don't examine where does desire come from where in our life experience experiences did desire get built and so really just beginning to see the stories that are coming out that are not about political expediency. They're just when you open the floodgates, when we uh, 
are opening a space to recognize things that we have been foreclosing for so long. Who are the people who need to speak and what do they need to say? Mm. And so that just feels like there's a torrent of this and it feels like there's um, far more pain that's being expressed than we have healing spaces or healing processes for this. And, and yeah, what were you gonna say? Well, I was just gonna ask, about that the healing of it or the mm, re that's the thing you see is when when people when people who are in pain start to share their pain with other people who are in pain over similar things right and neither of them have the tools to do any healing around it doesn't it just make the pain body bigger i would say it gets reinforced yeah Right. And there was a way that like, well, there has to be the acknowledgement. I've had this experience. I've also had this experience, but it's also part of what happens when you have that share in a closed environment, mm-hmm. right? In a closed system where the people who are participating in it, um, you know, like it would be inflated language to say as the perpetrators, but like, if you, if you look at the triangle, that's, that's the position that they occupy, right? They're perpetrating a kind of exclusion, Mm. right? If they don't get to hear that, if they don't get to be a part of the conversation, if there's no room to actually have um, a learning from that, a shifting from it, a moving on from it, um, then it does just kind of like, uh, does just kind of reinforce Mm -hmm. the, the pained experience. But we don't, we don't have systems developed, right, that enable the hearing, the, the hearing and the clearing of the thing. Mm-hmm. We don't have that. You know, it's why something like truth and re- reconciliation was so important uh, post-apartheid. It was, it was also brought back uh, post-genocide in Rwanda. Right, like to to actually have a process of being heard and having those things cleared and reconciled to the best of our collective ability, but we don't we don't have that, and right now we don't have safe space. We don't we've we've opened oh we've opened the attention, but we haven't opened conditions of safety. So where people are sharing in the open forum, they're being. sort of denied, rebuffed, or um, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of like, your experience isn't real, mm-hmm. right? And people have already had enough of that. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't want more of it, you know? Black people especially are not, not interested in more sort of, of the denial of that experience, right? So what do we do? Where... What are the things that need to be created? What are the systems? What are the understandings? What are the platforms? What are the the safeties, the practices, the protocols? We don't have those yet, right? We can already see the blind spots. Some of us can already see the pain and already see the blind spots, but the solution is not not yet emergent, not yet evident, right? We see a lot of small scale solutions and. We ourselves are creating small scale solutions, um, but we haven't seen a global response. We haven't seen um, 
something that has the capacity to hold space for a large number of us in this process. Mm -hmm. Guess we'll have to keep looking for it, right? (laughs) We're going to try. If you would like to reach out to us with your solution or what you know about solutions, I think we have a new email. We do. It's hello at becomingfreehumans.com. It's awesome. So talk to us. You know, you can just say hello and whatnot. (laughs) Oh, my, my. What's one thing we're shedding collectively? I mean, I don't know if this is exactly classified as a shedding, but more of a loss. (laughs) Uh, One of the things I think we're losing at the moment is bandwidth. Mm. And like lots of us are just stretched to the max with like what we can take in at this point in time and there's not room for more. And so people are, I think, starting to shut down in some ways um, and, and starting to see that like that's impacting our levels of engagement around a lot of different things, whether that's COVID or how we're relating to the conversation of race in America or whether or not we can even like stomach watching the evening news. I don't know. <laughs> All the places. Yeah. Interestingly, I have that as the thing that we are gaining because it doesn't really work on any of the sides. Um, And so what I noticed is that we are gaining some fortressing, some taking of sides, some claiming of distance, right? Which also has to do with um, hitting our bandwidth limits. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying that this is a, a good gain. Mm-hmm. Right. Just the this is the thing that people are taking on as sort of like strategies of self protection, strategies of self preservation. Mm-hmm. Whether that has to do with looking away or unfriending people, man, unfriending has never been more popular. <laughs> Blocking. There's a lot of that like energy of no, like I won't take more in. Ooh. I think there's going to be some consequences for that, but uh, <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I have to say, last week I was I was here giving some warning that uh, if we don't find space to connect more deeply in this moment, we are going to repeat it again, mm-hmm. and we don't need that. We've been in this conversation. We have been in this cycle long enough that, dear God, bring us completion around the story of systemic racism and systemic oppression. I'll say the unpopular thing. If we look at the length of time that this thing existed for in the great scheme of historical time, it's not that long. We have the opportunity to clean it up but we need to give it attention. We need to give it, we need to give it skillful attention. And right now it's just sort of, uh, sort of release, like open the floodgates um, with mm, no real sort of plan for absorption. Okay. And it's not the kind of thing that comes with a plan. Right? It's not like, okay, well, this is just the last straw until people say no more. Mm-hmm. And that 
absolutely makes sense. I, I am completely behind that, but it's not so much that we didn't have a plan as we, we don't have the processes. We haven't been using them along the way because we haven't developed them. Mm-hmm. So it just meant we had a lot of sudden histamine in the system. And it's kind of, people are kind of going offline in order to handle that. Mm-hmm. Right? we don't have a way to stay in the conversation and and help to reduce the inflammation simultaneously mm-hmm. exactly mm. I'm trying to remember what's the thing that i said that we were shedding they're all related oh yeah <laughs> that filter the one that says these are things we can never talk about mm. right Suddenly there are things that are being talked about, not always heard, not always accepted, not always acknowledged, but talked about on a much wider scale than we've ever seen before. Mm. That feels positive. I think if we can't catch it, it won't necessarily be. Also true. It'll just be a lot of undressed wounds. Ew. Yep. Yep. That's a strong visual. <laughs> mm, strong experience. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's one message you found yourself sharing this week? Um, I th- oh, I didn't get to talk about what we're gaining. You just no. skipping skipping me? What? <laughs> Okay, we had a not a not so great collective gains already. I've already shared with the people <laughs> the undressed wounds. They're already imagining the flies and whatnot. Do you need them to take on more? Go ahead. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> um, I think I think the thing that we're gaining is the um, awareness that the issue over there is not that different than the issue over here, is not that different from the issue even over there. You know, like you were talking about it, you touched on it yesterday in your live, um, right? That the, the, the kind of experience that we are quick to um, deliver to others is not unlike something that we have experienced being done to us and that you can actually get underneath the, um, if we can get past the, the, the names or the labeling of those things and actually look at the behaviors and how like we are both doing the thing and having that thing done to us at the same time and and starting to untangle those things is where the power and the solutions are, I think. But I don't think we're all there yet. I think we're just starting to see, oh, the, you know, like systemic racism in America is actually not that different than women's complaints about the patriarchy is not that different than et cetera, et cetera. I think we're starting to see glimpses of that in some ways. Which makes me a little sad given the fact that we've um, had proponents of the intersectional understanding of identity since third wave feminism, which is now 50 years old. It ain't new people. Mm-hmm. Get on board. <laughs> What's a message you found yourself sharing this week? 
wait, did you answer that question or did you just put it over here? <laughs> it's your turn. Okay. Though. I'll come back I'm to fine. when you're done. <laughs> oh, the message that I found myself sharing this week is that we don't go until we all go. There is no partial ascension plan. Um, we're not healthy. We don't have a healthy body until all of the parts are healthy. We don't get to leave parts behind. Um, and, you know, this is not the place where we cut off our leg to get to the finish line or we cut off our arms to keep going. We, we want to get there with the body intact, with the body thriving, with the body healthy, which means we have to attend to all of the parts. Um, it's not okay for us to foreclose blood, nutrient resources to any of the pieces, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't work to be like, well, leg, you did not work well yesterday. So I'm just gonna stop pumping that blood supply to you all together. <laughs> Mm -hmm. right it's not about turning the thing so that we just have a new oppressor right turning the triangle so that there's someone different in the victim perpetrator and rescuer positions off the triangle people and i see a lot of advocates for the the turning of the triangle for this group has already had their time right mm. and it it doesn't work like that we actually all have to get there um, all in health, all at the same time. I shared an image of Lenny Kravitz holding a sign that said something like, it's time for women to rule the world. Men have been doing it for a long time now and we see where that's gotten us, right? So it's time to hand over the, the baton to women. And I had somebody and, you know, I basically shared that and said, nope, <laughs> we actually all need to be online. So a lot of the, the men in the current system are not at, are not operating at ideal health, are not operating at, at optimal health, um, energetically, spiritually, emotionally, right? That system may be serving them more, but it's undermining all of us just like race is a cancer that like racism is a cancer that eats us all from the inside. Nobody is actually really thriving in that system. Mm -hmm. It's just a, a relatively better, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's not actually healthy. It's not the best that we have to offer. And so I had a woman that came on the thread when I shared the Lenny Kravitz, Kravitz post was like, yeah, we haven't actually tried disempowering that group. So until we try it, we don't know what's going to happen. All your thoughts are just hypothetical. Oh my gosh. Uh, until, we, until we try depriving of them of power, it's just a kind of um, fascist idea, right? <laughs> wow. Okay. Right. Right. A dogmatic idea is what she called it. And so she was a white woman who was responding and she also said that she couldn't wait to see the moment where black and brown people were her leaders and that she was ready to submit to that um, and wanted to see them in control of wealth and media and power. And I just thought, even no matter where it comes from, that's a bad idea. That's a bad idea. And if I take the bait and think, 
oh, now it's my time to rise up and be above someone else. Mm -hmm. I'm in trouble. We're in trouble. So I've been drawing the parallels between what men have been experiencing and what women, particularly white women, have been experiencing in the last few weeks around being seen as the presumptive problem, being seen as the physical embodiment of uh, social and systemic inequity and oppression. Mm -hmm. It's true that we all have to do our work on these things at the level of the individual. We cannot just blame it on the system because we are part of the systems that we're, we're the things that allow the systems to perpetuate. They perpetuate in our choices, um, in our values, in our beliefs. Uh, in the way we see the world, in who we hold important, in how we form community, in how we build wealth. It, it's in all of those things. So it has to be looked at at the level of the individual. But the problem doesn't actually exist as an individual. Right? Mm -hmm. It's a bad system problem, not a bad people problem. I've been saying this a lot, which is why you can't solve it at the level of just making good people right? It's that people have to look at their participation in the system. But that said, there is something profoundly unproductive about looking at an individual and asking them to hold the burden of responsibility for a systemic failure, mm -hmm. right? You can be part of making it right, and for sure you have been part of the perpetuation of wrong, but that doesn't mean you can carry the burden of wrongness. It doesn't mean that you can be wrong, right? And if you've um, been experiencing that and thought, well, you know, that feels like shit <laughs> when people <laughs> approach me like I am responsible for the state of things, then it's a great time to look at how we've been approaching men. As we look at an era of at the era and possibility of having the feminine rise of women having more participation, more complex participation in the public sphere, right? We have um, pretty much tacitly decided that it's okay to treat individual men like they were the things, they were the obstacles to that mm -hmm. participation. Mm -hmm. What a heavy burden to carry. There's no, there's no spirit that can carry that, that burden and be healthy at the same time. Right. Yeah. Mm. So that's the thing I've been saying. It's a long sentence, but I'm saying it wherever right? I get <laughs> You're like, how much time do you have? I have some things to say. I have a thing for you. <laughs> hmm. What about for you? Well, as I've been in more and more conversations, um, in particular around race, right? It's it's not only in those conversations, but in those conversations about other conversations. Um, it's been really clear that we all have different beliefs and thoughts about like what the way is forward, um, and so it has become clear to me <laughs> that the thing that is required at this moment is that we all learn how to be in conversation without an agenda. Hmm. And I think it really echoes what you said about earlier about um, being right or 
um, like not, not actually listening at the depths that we're capable of listening because we are so busy with, well, here's the answer and here's where I stand and that's what I see you doing. And, you know, but it's really, I think we need to find a way to be in conversation in relationship with each other and to the conversations that we're having um, in ways that really allow us to drop our notion that we know the way forward. Yeah. That are bigger than the sort of blaming, well, you're fragile. Well, oh yeah, you're angry. Mm -hmm. Right? Like that's just if you haven't gotten it so far in this episode, that is not the thing that's going to work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oof. Well, sounds like there's plenty. We we wrote a little thing about that. <laughs> it's a six-week course. We'll be sharing it. Maybe we can share it in the show notes. Sure thing. Yeah, awesome. It's a program coming up about being able to be in dialogue uh, in the face of difficult conversations. Right? To stay in dialogue, to be in connection. It's called Intimate Allies. We'll share it. If you want to know more about it, you can look there or you can write to us at <laughs> hello at becomingfreehumans.com. You all see from you. (laughs) Ciao. We'll see you back here again tomorrow for the next installment of Diary of a Pandemic. If you want to connect with us about working together, joining us live on the podcast to share your own answers, participating in the free community as you document your own journey, or really anything else, Drop us an email at becomingfreehumans at gmail.com or through the messaging function of whatever app you're on to listen. See you tomorrow.